Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. The Rittenhouse story begins in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It is August of 2020. A white police officer, Rustin Chesky, shoots a black man, Jacob Blake, seven times, leaving Blake paralyzed. The shooting gains nationwide attention as the country grapples with the officer-involved killings of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. Mass protests, civil unrest, and rioting erupt in Kenosha. But like moths to a flame, tourists from outside of our community were drawn to the chaos here in Kenosha. Two nights after the shooting of Jacob Blake, Kyle Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old from Antioch, Illinois, arrives in Kenosha with an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle. He says he has come to protect local businesses. During the night of August 25th, Rittenhouse fatally shoots two men and shoots and seriously injures a third. What this case will come down to, it isn't a who done it, when did it happen, or anything like that. It is, was, Kyle Rittenhouse's actions privileged under the law of self-defense. Our coverage of the Rittenhouse trial begins with a pretrial hearing on December 3rd, 2020. Via video conference, Prosecutor Thomas Binger appears before Commissioner Lauren Keating. Commissioner is what they call temporary judges in the state of Wisconsin. Binger's mission is to convince Commissioner Keating that the state has sufficient probable cause to bring Kyle Rittenhouse to trial. Our examination of this hearing will begin right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The morning after the events at the center of this trial, Kyle Rittenhouse turned himself into police in his hometown of Antioch, Illinois, and was later extradited to Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is approximately 21 miles by car from Antioch. Rittenhouse's bail was set at $2 million, and he soon became a favored cause of a number of conservative lawyers, commentators, and politicians. By November 21, 2020, Rittenhouse and his allies had raised enough money to post the bail bond. By the beginning of December of 2020, the state of Wisconsin had filed a criminal complaint charging Rittenhouse with seven counts. Count one, first-degree reckless homicide related to the killing of Joseph Rosenbaum. Counts two and three, first-degree recklessly endangering safety related to the shootings of two men, Richard McGinnis and an unknown male. Count four, first-degree intentional homicide related to Huber's death. Count five, attempted first-degree intentional homicide related to the shooting of Gage Grosskreutz in the arm. 
Count six, possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. Count seven, failure to comply with an emergency order from the city of Kenosha related to Rittenhouse being out on the streets after an 8 p.m. curfew imposed by the city. However, before these charges can be considered, defense attorney Mark Richards argues that the sixth count, which is possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18, should not apply to Rittenhouse's case for two reasons. There is nothing in the criminal complaint alleging that this is a short-barreled shotgun or a rifle. In fact, it says that the gun is a long gun. But more importantly, when one looks at the laundry list of charges the state came up with against my client, it's clear that if, in fact, this gun was a short-barreled rifle, he would have been charged with the felony count of possession of a short-barreled rifle, contrary to the statute with additional penalties. Additionally, what the government is trying to seek is an impingement of my client's Second Amendment rights, which is not covered by this statute. It's very specific regarding when it's a misdemeanor, what it applies to, and there's basically three prohibitions, none of which are met. The statutory history, which is included in the brief, makes that clear. Count six should be dismissed. Commissioner Keating invites Prosecutor Thomas Binger to give a response from the state. Binger argues that the defense is focusing on technicalities in the statute and that Rittenhouse is in clear violation of the statute prohibiting a minor from possessing a dangerous weapon. I would note that uh, I don't think there's going to be any dispute that everything that happened on the night of August 25th is transactionally related. So the defense can file a motion to dismiss a count in the complaint today. But if the defendant is bound over for trial, the state will simply file an information containing all transactionally related counts and will let a jury decide. Uh, So this is sort of form over substance here. However, there is a substantial legal basis uh, for the uh, count six, and that is we don't allow teenagers to run around with guns. It's really that simple. The statute is clear. 948.60 says any person under 18 who possesses or goes armed with a dangerous weapon is guilty of a Class A misdemeanor, period. There's no dispute in this case that Kyle Rittenhouse armed himself with an AR-15 on August 25th, 2020, at the age of 17 years old. Now, the defense seems to construe this statute as requiring that we plead their affirmative defense. I don't construe it that way. There is no requirement that we allege that the subsection 3C exception doesn't apply to the defendant. There is no dispute it doesn't apply to him. No one is alleging he's complied with hunter safety regulations or has a certificate or has done the class or that this was hunting in the traditional sense of the word. This was hunting humans, not deer. This was not up north in a rural area where people are wearing safety orange during gun hunting season in Wisconsin and they're shooting at deer with their father or their family. That's not what happened here. So I think under those circumstances, as the court has already ruled at the initial appearance, count six is an appropriate count. Commissioner Keating considers both arguments, then makes his decision. I'm looking at the, the, what a statute means versus what the legislature's intent was. But I do see here that I, I think it's a bit of a red herring to discuss barrel length. But for purposes of today, for these reasons, I'm going to deny Uh, your motion, Mr. Richards, to dismiss count six. You may obviously take the matter up further or address that issue uh, at trial. 
With Commissioner Keating preserving count six of the indictment against Rittenhouse, the court moves on to the defense motion on count two, which is the reckless endangerment charge related to the shooting of Joseph Rosenbaum. Lawyers for Rittenhouse assert that the criminal complaint lacks sufficient grounds for this charge. But after the prosecution directs the court's attention to the passages related to those grounds in the criminal complaint, Commissioner Keating denies the defense motion to dismiss count two as well, pushing that issue to trial. Commissioner Keating then declares the hearing to be officially underway and invites Binger to call his first witness. The state calls Kenosha Police Detective Benjamin Antaramian. As lead investigator on the case, Kenosha Detective Benjamin Antaramian is tasked with laying out the evidence collected that supports the state's case for probable cause. Binger asks Antaramian to recount Rittenhouse's actions on the night in question. And with regard to those uh, incidents which occurred on August 25th, 2020, uh, can you describe uh, what happened that evening with regard to the defendant? Yeah, there was a, a call at uh, 6226 Sheridan Road, uh, which is a car source uh, business uh, where shots were fired. Uh, investigation later determined that Joseph Rosenbaum was shot in that parking lot and later determined to be deceased. And then Kyle Rittenhouse uh, was the shooter in that incident. Uh, he then fled that scene northbound on Sheridan Road in the city and county of Kenosha. And just to be clear, uh, the address you've described of 6226 Sheridan Road and all of the other addresses with regard to this incident, are those all in the city and county of Kenosha, state of Wisconsin? Correct. And can you describe what happened after the defendant left the scene of the Rosenbaum shooting? As he was running northbound, there was a crowd uh, chasing after him. Uh, he ends up stumbling in the roadway uh, after being struck in the head. Uh, when he's on the ground, uh, a subject attempts to kick him in the head. Uh, he then fired two rounds in the air towards that subject, missing. Another subject approached him uh, with a skateboard, uh, and another shot was fired. That subject was identified as Anthony Huber. That gunshot subsequently killed him. Another subject approached Kyle, identified as Gage Grosskreutz. They had kind of a, a moment, at which point uh, Kyle fired one time, striking him in the right bicep. Kyle's unable to get up and get away from that scene. You described three individuals who approached the defendant. Uh, the first one you indicated had attempted to kick the defendant. Is that correct? Correct. Was that individual ever identified? As of now, no. Now, you indicated that the defendant fired two shots in the air uh, at about the same time as that first individual approached him. Can you describe the location of those shots vis-a-vis uh, -vis the location of that individual? They were in close proximity to kind of his chin area uh, as he's going over uh, Kyle those two rounds pass I'm assuming relatively close uh, to his the front of his face missing just barely how are you able to uh, uh, know this information were you personally there uh, no I've reviewed uh, multiple videos of this incident is it fair to say that uh, much of what you've described here was captured on video by numerous sources that evening correct and with regard to that first individual uh, did the defendant shoot at that individual you're referring to the one who attempted to kick him yes uh, yeah at the individual absolutely was that individual struck i don't believe so we've we've never identified him and you said there was a second individual subsequently identified as anthony huber who approached the defendant uh, was that captured on video correct and what does that video show that mr huber did with regard to the defendant uh at that point the defendant's on the ground uh mr huber approaches him with a skateboard in his arm or in his hand uh, he's sort of directing it kind of towards his shoulder neck area 
and it appears he's trying to reach for the the rifle that the defendant is possessing at that time. It's hard to tell if there's actual contact, but then a, a shot is fired. And when you say a shot is fired, who fired that shot? The defendant. And did that shot strike and kill Mr. Huber? Yes, it did. What sort of weapon was the defendant using? It's commonly referred to as an AR-15. It's an AR-style platform uh, rifle uh, chambered in 223. You indicated that after the defendant shot and killed Mr. Huber, Mr. Grosskreutz approached him. Is that correct? Correct. And uh, after that, then the defendant then shot Mr. Grosskreutz in the arm. Is that correct? Correct. I have no further questions, Your Honor. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After Prosecutor Binger concludes his questioning, the court invites defense attorney Mark Richards to cross-examine Detective Antaramian. Richards shows Antaramian video still frames of shooting victims Rosenbaum and Huber and asks him to ID them. Richards then shows Antaramian a still frame from a video which he says begins with a man named Zeminski telling Rosenbaum to get or kill Rittenhouse. Antaramian testifies that he never heard that line in the video. Richards then asks Antaramian if Rittenhouse was running away from Rosenbaum when a shot was fired by Zeminski, apparently implying that Rittenhouse had reason to fear for his life. Antaramian says yes. The defense attorney then displays an image of Rosenbaum lying on the ground after being shot, wearing his maroon shirt as a makeshift mask, and asks Antaramian if it is illegal in Wisconsin for a man to commit a crime while masked. This elicits some chuckles and leads Binger to object to the relevance of the question. Commissioner Keating intervenes. Yeah, I, I, that one, uh, go ahead, Mr. I'll let you respond, Mr. Richards, but... Uh... It goes to the events in question. The state is trying to put forth a one-sided, stilted view of what happened, protecting someone who doesn't deserve protection of the state. He's a masked robber. Okay, uh, this is preliminary hearing. I'm going to sustain the objection. And uh, for purposes of preliminary hearing, uh, that's outside the scope. It's not relevant for these purposes. Defense attorney Mark Richards continues his questioning of Detective Antaramian by focusing on Zeminski, who will become central to the defense strategy at trial. Showing you what's been marked as Exhibit 4. The bearded individual in the upper right-hand corner, do you recognize him? Okay. I do. Relevance. All right, what's the relevance of this now, Mr. Mr. Zeminski holding a firearm, the individual who shot first at Kyle. You can see the well, firearm that, that, clearly. Okay, but that's at this juncture, your second part of your statement or your comment, uh, shot first, uh, is uh, outside the scope of this examination. I'm going to, for that purpose, I'm going to sustain that objection. As to exhibit four, do you recognize the bearded individual? Objections. The same question that I've just objected to. It's not relevant. I'm not asking about the gun. I'm trying to identify the individual for the purposes of this hearing. Your Honor, we're, we're talking about individuals that don't have anything to do with this. They are outside the scope of this preliminary hearing. There were literally hundreds of individuals there that evening, and we're not going to expand this preliminary hearing into identifying a cast of characters 
that the defense thinks is relevant to their self-defense argument that is well beyond the scope of probable cause as to whether or not the defendant committed a felony. Mr. Richards, as an offer of proof until I uh, rule, with respect to these individuals that are, are you, how many individuals are you going to or anticipate to name and who is this individual allegedly at it's, this point? It is Mr. Zeminski, the individual who is charged with firing the first shot in 20 CM 1219, who this officer, test, mm -hmm. detective, I apologize, who this officer testified is depicted in exhibit three. I'm identifying him for the, this is a clear shot of that individual. All right, I'll allow for that limited purpose. All right, go ahead, detective, if you can uh, answer the question. The individual in the upper right-hand corner is in fact, Joshua Zeminski. Your Honor, I believe the evidence in this case, uh, preliminary hearing has established probable cause that the defendant committed a felony on August 25th, 2020. The evidence indicates that the defendant shot and killed two individuals and shot and wounded an, another, uh, which uh, forms the basis for uh, any number of felonies under our laws. Uh, all this court needs to find is that a felony was committed and probably committed by the defendant. Uh, and I believe this evidence supports that. With regard to the defense claim as to self-defense, uh, that does not defeat probable cause at this stage of the proceeding. That would be an issue for trial. So I would ask that the court bind the defendant over. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Richards. Your Honor, we would object to bind over maintaining all objections to the pretrial rulings and the bind over. The government can go off on their chaotic quest, but the evidence is clear. Thank you. With the arguments complete, Commissioner Keating renders his ruling. All right. Thank you very much. First off, uh, the court does find that uh, hearsay testimony is reliable for purposes of determining whether probable cause exists and is allowable pursuant to Section 970.038 of the Wisconsin Statutes and further allowable to the case of State v. O'Brien, 354 with second 753, 2014 case. In addition, uh, all reasonable conflicting inferences at this juncture are resolved in favor of the state. Uh, therefore, based upon the testimony presented today uh, by the detective, um, I do find the state has demonstrated probable cause uh, that in this case, uh, felonies were committed uh, relating to the counts in the complaint. Um, I bind over uh, as such, uh, that probable cause further exists that this defendant committed those felonies, uh, including uh, count one um, and the other uh, felonies here in this in this file or in the uh, criminal complaint. Uh, therefore, as I do find that probable cause exists that the defendant committed uh, those felonies, uh, the defendant in this case is bound over before the Kenosha County Circuit Court uh, before the Honorable Bruce E. Schrader uh, at this time. With that, Kyle Rittenhouse is ordered to stand trial on all of the charged counts. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us on our next episode as we examine the February 11, 2021 pretrial hearing where Kenosha, Wisconsin Circuit Court Judge Bruce Schroeder decides whether Kyle Rittenhouse's controversial behavior while out on bail justifies raising it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Vanessa Heron. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Karenik. The episode was edited by Chris Taracone, and trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.